What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash Bible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. Moses slowly walked down Mount Sinai. He was heartbroken. He had terrible news to tell the people. I can imagine as he got down to the mountain and hit the plain there in front of Mount Sinai, he slowly walked up to the people of Israel, probably their clan leaders, because remember, there's two million of them, and he probably talked to the leaders of the people who had gathered to hear the news Moses had. Now remember, they had just failed God miserably. I mean, they made a golden calf, and some worshipped it as Yahweh, and others worshipped some old Egyptian god. They broke the second commandment, and thus they violated the whole covenant they made between Israel and Yahweh. That was bad, but that wasn't the worst, right? They had just seen 3,000 of their men killed by the sons of Levi, led by Moses. And they then saw a plague rip through the camp and kill many of the rest of them. They saw thousands of people killed because of this sin that they had committed. And now Yahweh, who they had just broken the covenant with, their God Yahweh was angry with them. Moses had gone up the mountain to intercede for them, to pray for the people to Yahweh, and now they wanted to know the news, what was going to happen. I can imagine Moses came up to the people. And the look on his face probably said it all. You know, I think Moses told them that God had forgiven them that their sins were atoned for through Moses' intercession, but Moses had to tell them the worst news of all. You can imagine he looks at them and he says, Listen, Yahweh has said he's not coming with us into the promised land. 
He said he will send an angel before us to help drive out the people of the land, but because we are, as he says, a stiff-necked people, which you are, stubborn and sinful, he's not going to go with us into the land. In fact, I can imagine Moses goes on to say, he wants us to remove all the jewelry we got from the Egyptians and not wear it anymore. I know many of us wear it as a reminder of where we were and what we came from and what God did for us, but now God wants us to remove all the jewelry that we had in Egypt. That is how angry he is with us. That is how angry he is with what has happened. Yahweh has told me his presence will no longer be with us. When the people heard this, they began to weep and cry, and the presence of Yahweh would no longer be with them? This can't be. Yahweh was their only guarantee of survival, and without God being there, and a pillar of cloud during the day, and a pillar of fire at night leading the way, well, the people knew they were in big trouble. What were they going to do? Was there anything they could do? They all looked at Moses, and Moses just shook his head and quietly walked away. But I think Moses walked away with hope. I think he still had hope that Yahweh would be with them, that Yahweh was not going to give up on them. He had hope because he knew the heart of God. See, this was a low moment for the people of Israel. I mean, they had just seen thousands of their people killed, and and now they hear that Yahweh's presence will no longer be with them. It's right there in Exodus 33 and 34. What are they going to do? Here we have two million people who now no longer have the protection of Yahweh, who are about to go into a promised land, already occupied by people much stronger, much bigger than them, and many of them are giants, as we'll find out later. And now they have to go it alone? Now, God told the people he would provide an angel. But before he provided his angel, the angel of the Lord, right? Before God said he was going to send his angel before them. But now the Bible says God said he was just going to send an angel before them. That sounds pretty good, but his presence, it's no longer there. His presence would no longer be with the people. This was a terribly low moment for the people of Israel. This was a scary moment. What is going to happen? Well, all I can say is, thank the Lord, the people have Moses. The one smart man in the whole tribe is what it feels like, you know? Well, there's Joshua and Caleb, they're pretty good, but that's another story later on. But again, thank the Lord for Moses, because like I said, I think he knows the heart of Yahweh and he does not give up. But instead... Moses decides to go into Yahweh and once again plead for his people. In Exodus 33 verse 5, it says that God says at the end of telling Moses that he will no longer be with his people, 
He says, go back down, tell my presence will no longer be with them. But it ends this way. I will decide what to do with you. And maybe Moses thought, here's the word decide. You know, I will decide what to, there's still a chance. You know, I think Moses thought back earlier. I changed his mind about wiping them out and starting over with me. Maybe there's still a chance I can change his mind about not being with us anymore. And so I think Moses, probably exhausted from climbing up and down Mount Sinai, decides to pitch a tent. A tent just outside the camp where he's going to meet with the Lord. Or, more likely, Yahweh, seeing how exhausted Moses is from going up and down the mountain, tells Moses to pitch a tent outside the camp, and there God will meet with Moses. And so Moses does that. He erects a tent outside the camp, and there Moses would go to meet with God. Guess what it's called? The Tent of Meeting. So whenever Moses had a concern or something he had to talk with God about, he would go to this tent of meeting. He'd go there with his assistant Joshua, and Moses would then go inside the tent. Then Yahweh would come down in the pillar of cloud. That pillar would remain at the entrance to the tent. Now remember, the tabernacle has been built yet, so this tent of meeting was something special where Moses could meet with God. It was so important that when the people would hear that Moses was going to talk with God at the tent of meeting, the people would all come to their tent doors and wait for Moses to enter the tent of meeting. And then they would see the pillar of cloud descend and stay at the entrance to the tent. And then all the people would bow and worship at their tents. All the time Moses was inside the tent, the people in their tents are bowing and worshiping Yahweh. I wonder what went on in that tent when Moses talked with God. I wonder what happened or what that looked like in the tent. Was the whole tent covered in smoke and then Moses would speak to God and God would speak from that smoke and God would respond with an audible voice from the cloud of smoke? Or, or I think, did God show up in visible form, in the form of a man and talked with Moses in the tent? It says in the Bible that Moses met with God in that tent and talked with him face to face as a man talks with a friend. Now what that means is that God talked with Moses intimately, closely. Imagine you have a best friend. You know, how do you two chat? How do you two talk with each other? Well, that is how God talked with Moses, connected, close, intimate, as best friends. And I can imagine Moses brought his concern, brought his question, and Yahweh standing there in human form talked back to him and shared the wisdom of Yahweh and what he should do, and here's the truth, and here's the way. And they talked, and I bet they laughed. They were best friends, right? as friend to friend, that sort of intimate relationship. And ultimately, 
That is why I think that Moses still had hope that God was still going to be with his people. I think Moses knew the heart of God and that the people still stood a chance that God would change his mind and be once again with his people. And so Moses, in one of these meetings in the tent, decides to ask once again for the blessing of the presence of Yahweh, that Yahweh would not abandon his people, that he would be with them. Now, it's interesting, too, I think, that Moses is the one initiating these meetings. The Bible says that when Moses went into the tent of meeting, then God would arrive in a pillar of cloud. Moses would go to the tent to talk with God, and then God would graciously come to him. And notice, too, the rest of the people of Israel had to watch from far away. The Bible says they could go to the tent of meeting to ask God for a quest and to talk to God, but it was only Moses who experienced the presence of God. The rest of the people were separate. They weren't allowed near the presence of Yahweh. But Moses was. And man, I think we just have to stop and thank the Lord that we can access the presence of God anytime if you know him as your Savior. The Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Bible says you have the Holy Spirit inside you if you've asked him to save you. If you put your faith and trust in him, you have the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God inside you. You can experience the presence of God every day, and you can go to him in prayer every day. But how often do we do that? We get busy. Life gets stressful. You get busy doing things, and then you're like, oh, I forgot to pray today. And Man, back in Moses' day, I think the people of Israel would have loved to experience the presence of God that we can on a daily basis. But only Moses had that special right. Well, I think at one of these meetings, Moses beseeches God for a favor. Oh, please, Lord God Yahweh, do not leave your people. Remember, you said Israel was going to be your people. I mean, this is what Moses is essentially saying. If we do not have your presence with us, how can we be called your people? How are we any different from the other tribes around us who have their gods? How are we going to be set apart as followers of Yahweh if you do not come with us? If we do not have your presence with us as we go into the promised land, I can imagine Moses says, pleading and pleading and pleading, please come with us. Please, we need your presence. We need you to be with us. He says, look, you have told me, lead this people up. Exodus 33 verses 12 through 13. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name and you've also found favor with me. Now, if I indeed have found favor with you, please teach me your ways and I will know you so that I may find favor with you. Now, consider that this nation is your people. And I can imagine Moses on the floor, head bowed to the ground in front of Yahweh, begging for them. If I have found favor, entreating for them, please, if you say you call me by name, we have an intimate relationship, please consider this nation your people. 
Moses is reminding God what he has said earlier, that Israel was going to be his people. He's also begging God based on the fact that Yahweh and Moses have a special relationship. He reminds Yahweh that he's told Moses that he is highly favored and loved. Moses is using that special relationship to plead once again for the people of Israel to experience the presence of Yahweh and for Yahweh to not abandon them and instead for them to be his people. Will God relent? Will God once again change his mind and be with the people of Israel as they march towards the promised land? I wonder if Moses bowed with his face to the ground, showing reverence to Yahweh. And I imagine Yahweh, in human form, then comes over to Moses. He lifts him up, gets him to stand, and then gives him a big bear hug and says, I will be with the people. I will do what you have asked because you have found favor with me and because I know you by name. You're mine, Moses. That's what it means to know him by name. You're mine. Moses was his child, his offspring by adoption, part of his family. And because of that special relationship, because earlier Moses said he wanted to learn the ways of Yahweh and to be taught the ways of God. God says, you are mine. I know you by name. We are best friends. And yes, I will be with the people. Yes, Moses is so excited. Yes, God will not abandon his people. Yes, God is going to walk with his people and his presence will be with them as they head towards the promised land. Yes, yes, yes. This is so exciting. And he is so thankful to Yahweh for not abandoning them because he knows Yahweh has every right to walk away, but he doesn't. And in that moment of excitement and love for Yahweh, then bowing before him and just enjoying being in the presence of his best friend, Moses, in that beautiful, wonderful moment in this tent of meeting, then asks for something incredibly special. He asks for this. He says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Moses wanted to experience the complete presence and fullness of Yahweh. He wanted to see God in all his majesty. Please show me your glory, Yahweh. Well, Yahweh then helps Moses to his feet. And I imagine he puts his arm around his shoulder and says, you can't see my glory. Because if you did, you would die. Yahweh then goes on to explain to Moses that no one can see the face of God and live. Now, If you've been following carefully, this is a little confusing, right? I mean, the Bible just said that Moses and God spoke face to face. So how can no one see the face of God and live? 
Well, what God is saying here is no one can experience the pure glory of God in its raw form because it will kill us. Instead, in the Bible, what you see is men and women experiencing God in a filtered form, in the form of a human or or a voice or in a dream. Yahweh's essentially saying to Moses, Moses, you're too full of the sins of this human life to ever see the Hebrew word there is kavod. And that is what God says Moses cannot experience because you will die. Instead, Yahweh goes on to say, I will let you experience my goodness. The goodness of God. It's still amazing. But it is his glory filtered so that we can experience just a glimpse of it. I think Jesus later on reveals some of that glory in the garden when he says, I am, and all of a sudden all the soldiers are knocked over like bowling pins. You know, they fall flat on their backs. Earlier, whenever somebody in the Old Testament saw the angel of the Lord, they come away from that experience thinking they are going to die. And again, that's experiencing God in a human form, in a filtered way. The glory of God in its raw form would be too much for any human to experience and live. So Yahweh says, okay, Moses, I want you to carve out of stone two more tablets and to come back up the mountain. And there I'll give you the commandments again and stipulate all the parts of the covenant again, but I want you on this two stone tablets to chisel out the Ten Commandments again. And then after all that, Yahweh tells Moses, I'm going to reveal to you a glimpse of my glory. I'm going to reveal to you my goodness. And Yahweh goes on to say, and Moses, I don't want you to die, so I'm going to take care of you. Even showing you my goodness, filtered glory, there's a chance you could die from that. So I'm going to put you in a small opening in a rock face. It's called the cleft of the rock. And then I'm going to cover your eyes with my hand. And that's why I think he's in human form, because he says, I'll cover you with my hand. And then I'm going to turn around and just stand with my back facing you inside that crevice. Just my back. And then I'm going to reveal my goodness to you. And Moses, you had better hang on because it's going to be amazing. So Moses goes back up the mountain. Poor guy. Hauling two stone tablets. I can't imagine these things were light and easy to carry, you know? And he goes back up there and they found a small crevice and and Moses, I can imagine, had to squeeze himself into this crevice. And then God walks in human form past this crevice. And I can imagine as he's in this small cleft of the rock, he begins to feel the ground shake, the rock quake at the glory of the Lord being revealed just a little bit. And then God puts his hand over the face of Moses. And then he turns with his back towards Moses. And then God reveals his goodness. He reveals just a little bit of the filtered glory of God. Now it's interesting. Part of Yahweh revealing his goodness, it says there in Exodus 34, is proclaiming 
his very name, Yahweh. If you want to experience the goodness of God, it's wrapped up in the name of Yahweh. That's part of it. It says in Exodus 34, verse 6 through 7, as he gives Moses this wonderful chance to glimpse his goodness, part of that is his name because it says the Lord. Basically, Yahweh. Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity and rebellion and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Part of the glory of God Yahweh says is the fact that he's compassionate, gracious, and that Yahweh is willing to forgive sin. I mean, right there, Yahweh tells Moses that he's going to forgive the people for, for their golden calf debacle, but that he will forgive them for what they did. Why? Because that is Yahweh's nature his goodness, who God is at the core. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. He loves. Because of that love, he will forgive. Now, it's interesting. God says his faithful love abounds for thousands of generations. But his punishment only goes as far as the third and fourth generation. By the way, this verse is not saying that God holds people accountable for their parents' sin. One of the great things about the Jewish law was that it held people accountable for their sin. You couldn't be punished as a son for your father's sin or as a father for your son's sin. No, you were individually accountable for what you did. Other countries, other tribes in that region, no. If you were guilty for a sin, then your mother was guilty, your whole family could be killed, but not under Jewish law. So what this verse is saying here instead is that God will forgive, but he's going to hold people accountable for their sin. They're forgiven, but sin has consequences. And he says up to the third and fourth generation. Ultimately, if you count the third and fourth generation, that's probably 20 to 25 years after the sin. And your family is going to keep on paying the price for the consequences of your current actions. That's what this verse is saying. That's true, isn't it? We all know because of parents' bad choices, children have to pay a terrible price. Man, I think that should stop us to think through before we commit some sinful act. What I do impacts so many other people. But I want to point out, though, that his love extends for thousands of generations. Yahweh is love, and his love goes out, and it is a love to forgive and to reconcile and to rebuild and to renew and to restore. Well, Moses experiences a glimpse of the glory of God, right? As manifested by the goodness of God, and all Moses could do was to fall down and worship. 
He praised God for who he is. He thanked God for being with the people of Israel. And then God restates the covenant to Moses, the Ten Commandments, essentially. And I can imagine Moses is listening and chiseling away and engraving the commandments of God upon this new tablet of stone. The earlier one was written by the finger of God, but this one, Moses has to write himself. And specifically, the Bible says he writes down the Ten Commandments, and it's interesting. God, when he does the Ten Commandments again, was a little more specific with many of them. And in particular, he was very specific about the rules of what sort of image you could make. Because guess what? You couldn't make any image of God. That was commandment number two, right? You shall have no graven images before me. Well, this time, God is even more specific about what type of image is not allowed. He says in verse 17, you must not, write this down, Moses, you must not make molten gods. You couldn't be more specific to the people of Israel. Do not cast gold into gods. It will be bad. Before I said no graven images, well, I'm going to be even more specific. Now, Israel, no more molten gods. Don't take that gold and heat it up and make it into gods. No, no molten gods. That's specifically what I mean. So Moses was up there with God for another 40 days and 40 nights. But this time the people didn't freak out. And this time the people of Israel just waited and trusted and waited. They're learning, right? Then after 40 days and 40 nights, Moses comes down the mountain. And he's carrying the two stone tablets. And I wonder if he walked down cautiously and he's listening. Is there any music? Is there any singing? As he comes down finally, and yes. There is no dancing. There is no debauchery. Yes, the people are learning. And as he begins to walk to the bottom of the mountain, maybe he starts to run a little because he wants to be with his people again. He wants to be with his brother Aaron. And he starts running towards them. <gasps> and then the people see Moses and they start running the opposite direction. A lot of them, their mouths are wide open and their jaws drop. And, you know, again, I wonder if Aaron came up to give his brother a big hug. He hadn't seen him for 40 days and 40 nights. But when he saw him, he's like, ah, and he runs away screaming. What in the world did they see on Moses? That was so frightening. Eventually, I think they came up to him. But they just stared at him. They probably stood back and they couldn't even really look at him. His face glowed. It shone brightly. After experiencing the goodness of God, it just shone so brightly. You know, it didn't just shine like your face can shine if you put some makeup or some glitter on your face. No, it was bright. I mean, if you needed a flashlight, you could just borrow Moses' face and it would light the way for you. Or if you had Moses on the hood of your car, you wouldn't need headlights. People driving by would be like, hey, hey, take it off the, the brights. Could you dim your lights a little? That's how bright it was. I think it was so bright that people found it hard to look at Moses. So Moses quickly found a cloth and he created a veil. 
that would hang over his face. And the Bible says that whenever Moses would go into the tent of meeting to talk to God, that Moses would remove the veil. But then whenever he came out and then would talk to the people, he would leave the veil open so the people could see his face and they could see the shining light. And he would tell them what God commanded them. And he wouldn't put it back until he had finished telling the people what God had told him in the tent of meeting, or in this case, in the top of the mountain. Then he would put the veil back over his face to cover that shining light. Now, it's interesting. Moses' face shone like this the rest of his life. It never dimmed. It never faded. He had to wear a veil the rest of his days. I think it must have been irritating at times. I wonder for Moses to always wear a veil. But I also think, man, when you looked in the mirror... Or as he began to see his reflection in the water, whatever he used to see himself, to see your face shining from experiencing the goodness of God. I think that would have been a wonderful reminder to experience that the rest of your life, right? To look at your face and to see how brightly it shone because you had experienced just a glimpse of the glory of God by experiencing the goodness of God. I think that must have been a wonderful reminder to Moses of what Yahweh had said, right? That the Lord is compassionate, that the Lord is gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. I think every time Moses looked at his shining face, he thought of those words. And he thanked Yahweh for being a wonderful God and for Yahweh this God, this loving, compassionate God, leading his people towards the promised land. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.